Westchester. Hope you're enjoying this snowy day. I got a chance to interview Pastor Robbie Schmidtberger from Ironworks Church Westchester. Great interview. I want to hear what you want to hear. So put your questions in the comments. Comments, comments, comments. Check it out. Let me know. All right, so we're going to try to do this up. I have my kid and she might be on, who knows, she might be on the verge of breaking down at any point and needing a nap. She's great. So if you hear baby coos in the background or baby cries and shouts, just mute, hang on for a moment. <laughs> we'll be back. Uh, so this week we got Pastor Re Reverend Robert Schmidtberger. The, the third. No. no. No? The first? The first. You're the first. I'm I guess sorry. I don't need to add the first. Pastor Robbie works perfectly fine. Okay, if what? So, Pastor, first. just to get the difference, Reverend means you have a degree? Reverend, uh, two things. One, if you have a degree, yes. So, if you go to seminary, you graduate with a degree. And then also, if you are ordained. So, it's those two things together. Um, and so, yes, it's the Reverend Robert Schmidtberger. It's crazy. All right. So the, uh, the last name, does it have to, do you have to say the whole name Schmidtberger or? Well, if you're put, well, if you're putting the in front of Reverend, yes. We can be like, Hey, Reverend, Rev, Rev Robbie, whatever. It's fine. All right. I didn't know if you wanted to go with a nickname like Rev Schmidt or Honestly, Robbie's fine. Okay. Because pastor is just a generic term for someone who pastors a church. It's a true story. Like, it is a very true story. Okay. Um, but, yeah, you are a chill guy. Um, you're not – I wouldn't necessarily say hipster, right? I'm a millennial. You're a millennial. So millennial. you are um, – how old are you? I'm 34 this year. 34. And you are with the lead pastor of the church Ironworks in Westchester? Yes. Ironworks Church of Westchester, yes. Awesome. So when did you, first of all, when did you come become a Christian? Or uh, maybe you have always been. Secondly, um, when did you hear or feel or see the call to <laughs> go into full-time ministry? Uh, and then... Yeah, what was your background leading up to coming to Westchester and saying, okay, I'm going to start a church here? How did that whole process happen? Yeah, um, so t t tackling the first question first, so um, when did I come to know uh, Jesus? So I grew up in a Christian home, and so um, it's a privilege to be able to say that I've never known a day without Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Uh, my parents uh, steeped me in, in Scripture and the Gospel and, my, and taught me the way of Jesus. So that's, that's wonderful. I grew, so I grew up in the church. Um, I, and um, my, my dad, uh, while growing up, was a pastor. And so like I was exposed to uh, church ministry and, and the life of, of, of just being involved around the church. And so when I went to college, I went to study biblical and religious studies. And while I was in college, I just really felt the Lord just heightening, uh, really just a call to ministry. And after, uh, actually just b before I graduated from college, I worked at a uh, homeless shelter in north, the north side of Pittsburgh. And then after I graduated, I taught 
um, high school religious education uh, for a few years. And so, uh, but while I was teaching, uh, teaching high schoolers, I was going to a seminary in the evenings, uh, part-time. And after a few years, just, I decided to, um, go full-time into, uh, seminary and stop teaching. And, and so really actually, um, when I was like, I f like I said, I started feeling a call to ministry during college, but then after graduation, it just heightened one way or another. A mentor told me that, hey, if God wants you to go to ministry, he'll make it happen. And so God hey. kept, Willow wants to say hi. Hi. <laughs> She's been sitting here playing with my beard this whole time. She's adorable. So, but I had a mentor tell me that if God wants me to go to, into seminary and go into ministry, he'll make it happen. And he did. And so like in um, 2011, I, I actually came out here to Chester County to participate in a church planning conference. And <laughs> my beard was no longer entertaining to her. Uh, so, but then I was in 2011 and 2012, I went on staff at a church plant in Pittsburgh in the, um, the East End uh, uh, part of Pittsburgh. And uh, I... That, that was Grace and Peace Presbyterian Church. And so then after I graduated seminary in 2013, uh, Grace and Peace called me to be one of their pastors. And I was there exploring church planning in Pittsburgh. And uh, the Lord just closed some doors there. And he simultaneously was opening doors out here. Um, and so uh, three and a half years ago, my wife and I moved out here to Chester County. And we lived in Kennett Square and served at a church in Wilmington, Delaware. And so... That's what brought us out, out here. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, so, uh, Westchester, I think I asked you this one time when we were hanging out, um, probably a couple months ago, but I said, why, why Westchester? You know, we already have several churches thriving. Um, what is the purpose or what is the need for yet another church? And I didn't mean that as any slight to you coming, of course. Like, I wanted to welcome you to Westchester. But, um, yeah, you gave me a pretty awesome response. I don't know if you remember. But what what would you say to somebody who says, hey, why would you start a church here? We already have a couple of churches that are doing really well. Yeah, so there's two parts to that. Um, there's two parts to that answer. And one is um, the fact that, so Ironworks is actually a what a replanting venture. So a church closed, a Presbyterian church closed and said that, hey, uh, we're not effective at reaching to this community and ministering to this community, serving the campus, serving the borough. And so uh, we want to, so this congregation, to, uh, determined that it's better for them to close and to uh, see another church started. Um, and so that's actually part of our story. So it's not just a, a true sense of a, a brand new church moving into the area, coming out of nowhere. It's that part of the, our story is that we are a replanting venture of, uh, of a congregation that closed of the Reformed Presbyterian Church of Westchester. And so that, that's like one part of it. But like specifically is, is that... It, it, it's not so much that, like, I let me put it this way. I know that sometimes church plants are viewed as 
the competition or church plants are viewed with a lot of suspicion where like church plants are coming in and be like, oh, hey, well, they're just going to be uh, taking people that go to one church or to, from another church or somewhere else. But the reality, when we look at Westchester, when you like wait, looking at Westchester and think about that in terms of university where you have almost 17,000 students in both the undergraduate and graduate programs. Um, there, there are 17,000 students that um, should be met with the gospel, and there is not one church in this entire region that could effectively reach all 17,000 of those students. And that's just talking about the university, but we, we haven't even thought about the borough itself, where you have um, an additional 13,000 uh, residents within the borough. We're not talking about the region where there's 199,000 households. So like the, the reality is, are we as Christians or are we as the church effectively reaching our community in this region? The, the answer is that there's always more that, that we can do to reach this, this community. And so church planting plays a vital part in, in reaching uh, this community for the name of Jesus. Yeah, you had mentioned that some of the churches uh, in the area just have, we're all on the same mission, right? We want to see people reach, but have two sort of different uh, priorities or higher values and maybe different approaches to doing that. And that, uh, I remember you said sort of makes Ironworks Westchester unique in that sense. Um, do, you, do you mind just kind of telling the audience what um, sort of is your, what, you know, what makes what you're trying to go after unique? Because there are a couple of churches, uh, just to name off the top of my head, some that partner with crew often. There's the Journey Church. Right. There's, I don't know if they're called that anymore. Christchurch, I think. Christchurch? Christchurch, Westchester. Great. Okay. Well, it's been a journey. <laughs> um, then there's Providence, mm -hmm. right, on Hannam Avenue. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so what what um, makes Ironworks Westchester unique in, in sense of what you're trying to go after? Yeah, so um, to put it this way, like uh, like to put our, our, our vision and our mission just like right out in front of center is that we uh, invite religious skeptics and the religious people to follow the way of Jesus for to go to Westchester. And so right there inherent in, in our understanding of the ministry and even just our design of the church is that we intentionally want to create a place and, and space for non-Christians to come and explore the claims of Jesus. And so if that is, and so that's actually something that we've seen. We've seen people just coming um, with their questions, coming with their doubts, coming with their skepticism and their cynicism. And we just uh, acknowledge that. It's healthy to acknowledge those things. But the, then the question is like, hey, how, like, here's this, our questions. Here's our cynicism. Here's our doubt. Um, and like, let, let's explore those as we look at scripture and claims of teach of Jesus and, and go from there. Yeah, <clears throat> that's cool. Um, you had said when you were in Kennet, right, that you had developed uh, a heart for 
reaching the Latino population as well, right? Well, uh, yeah, well, that specifically that was in our time at Kennett. Um, I, I really have a, 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 a desire uh, just to see our places reached that very effectively with the gospel. And so, like, when I was in Pittsburgh, it was um, seeing neighbors, uh, or when I was even going back even further, when I was doing uh, working at a homeless shelter, seeing um, the the homeless population of Pittsburgh um, coming to know Jesus and like um, poor. And so like moving out here to Kennett, um, like w the biggest culture shock for us um, that uh, coming from Western PA um, and Pittsburgh, uh, moving to Kennett where roughly 50% of Kennett is Hispanic and, and Latino and where you can, within walking distance, you can go to uh, pretty much like one of like really six amazing Hispanic owned uh, taco joints. And, but, and you're walking in there and it's just like, well, if it, you should know some Spanish to order some tacos. Um, and like, I might be exaggerating to one degree or another, but uh, that was culture shock for someone coming from Western PA. And, but like when you, we looked at the churches in, in Kennett Square, it's just like the, the question's like, hey, are, are these congregations reaching effectively reaching to and ministering to uh, the Hispanic population? And so like the, the answer to that question is that we, there's always more we can do. And so like, that's like just a, a glaring, just a glaring need that I just see within our larger Chester County region. Um, yeah, I know oftentimes it feels even just uh, our ministry with crew of Westchester you think about all the people that just within the population of what, 20,000 undergrad students, you feel like a fire hydrant of yeah. unreached people. And in a lot of ways you have to say, all right, we're going to, we're going to start with what we can handle right now. And then eventually we want to move on and we want to really hit all the unreached people. Um, you said that you are 34. I am 34. How are there people that either told you uh, or maybe that you've met recently or just maybe yourself uh, that have said, 34, you're, you're too young. We're kind of in that, I'm 30, so yeah. we're kind of in that age where 20 year olds look at us like old people, oh, yeah, sure. but then anyone that's not in their 30s were looked at as like 18 year olds. <laughs> um, so yeah, just uh, what what are some of the challenges? You know, uh, what are maybe some of the things that you know? Okay, I'm going to have to mature in this area mm -hmm. or that area because I'm not as seasoned as let's say a guy who's been doing it for 50 years and is in his like late sixties or whatever, I guess that, that math was off, but yeah, he was a 12 year old pastor or whatever. Pastor. And those exist in some, for, in some communities. Yeah. Well, I, I think you're hitting on so many different things. Like when you look at scripture, um, like first and foremost, when you think about scripture, like scripture alone, um, uh, I'll put it this way. Scripture first should be the very first thing that we go to when we think about, um, the pastoral vocation, like, is this person called 
uh, to be a pastor? Is this person equipped to be a pastor? And like Paul uh, clearly gives us. Uh, so while I'm saying there, so Paul, Paul, like going back and like looking at scripture, taking our, our cues from scripture as uh, really the source for our, um, like really to answer this question. Of like, is this person called to be a pastor, equipped to be a pastor? Like Paul says, like, hey, do, to Timothy, do not look anyone, uh, don't let anyone look down upon you because you are young. And I think right there, it's just like I know scholars debate about, hey, how young is Timothy here? And like, sure, that there's a there's debate there, but the principle, the point still stands. Don't let people look down upon you just because you're youth. And so. Like some people, yeah, would say to me in one way or another, yeah, you're too young. But uh, at the same time, like specifically being a Presbyterian pastor is that um, when a person becomes a Presbyterian pastor, uh, the like the man is being affirmed by not just one church, not just one gathering of elders, but the entire regional body of elders throughout the region. And so, like, when I became a pastor, like, six years ago, um, and um, I was in Pittsburgh Presbytery, and transferring out here down to Delaware, I was in that Presbytery. Now I'm in the metro west suburbs of Philadelphia. I'm in that Presbytery. So the point is that, like, within our Presbyterian system, like, hey, let's ask the question of Scripture. And Scripture says, don't let uh, anyone look down upon you because you're youth. But then also at the same time, like, there has been an entire gathering of churches and men that are affirming um, gifts and competencies to to be a pastor and to be entrusted with this um, this really sacred task of building and planting a church. That's awesome. It actually touches on something I wanted to talk about. For a lot of people, they don't know what presbytery means. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't even know what a Presbyterian is or what that means or what is that denomination? Is that just... Uh, a, a sort of junk drawer for, uh, you know, certain ideologies? Is that, is there only one Presbyterian denomination? Is that just a style? So I actually, I brought all those things up because a lot of people don't know what a denomination is. They hear that word, denomination, they either think money, <laughs> right, which denomination are you paying for this in? Or, oh, there goes my kid. She's about to start to freak out. She heard denomination. <laughs> or, uh, so, I feel like um, they're in the, maybe, this is just my experience, but it felt as if it was it was the 90s where the whole, it, and it could be before, you're the one who studied this stuff, but uh-huh. it, uh, non-denominational was, is like the buzzword, mm-hmm. or was the buzzword. And it was the coolest thing when someone said, oh, what denomination is that? And they said, oh, it's non-denominational. It was almost like a stamp of legitimacy. We are not the the normal, just stuffy church. We're a non-denominational church. Uh, and it, that continued, too, I think, even to when I was a student in 2007. Non-denominational was a cool thing. But then what happens is you have this non-denominational church that starts to get bigger and bigger and now they realize oh we need a certain set of laws to govern the the people and all of a sudden now instead of have you know being a part of 
a denomination that's existed for a while. They've sort of created thousands of different little denominations uh, because, and then, you know, that church plants a new church. Yeah, you almost have a brand new denomination. And it, in a lot of ways, you've almost exacerbated the issue that I think a lot of people had with denominations. Um, and so could you just explain, I think a lot of people think it's all theology, but from what I understand, it actually is a little bit more how the, the, uh, a church is structured in terms of who makes decisions, uh, and things like that. So yeah, could you just explain, uh, maybe like in a way, a, uh, like maybe a Michael Scott from the, Michael Scott from the office, like, explain it to me like I'm a first grader. What is uh, the difference there between the denominations? And then why why did you go with, you know, the Presbyterian? Yeah, so uh, pre- Presbyterianism definitely, um, it's definitely a, a denomination. And so, like, so it's in that same um, realm of, as Lutheranism, Anglicanism, um, Baptist, Methodism, so forth and so on. But so when it comes to Presbyterianism, like uh, it, we go back uh, into the 1600s um, to Scotland as like that's where, and even perhaps even further than that into like uh, continental Europe with uh, John Calvin. Like, so like that's like our historical roots. Well, one of the things that really jumps out about Presbyterianism is that like the, the fundamental core belief of Presbyterianism is that uh, we believe that God and God alone is the Lord of our conscience. Um, and that's huge. Like, um, and so my denomination, and you're right, there are a lot, truly, there are a lot of Presbyterian denominations. It's probably because we're all from Scotland and we can't get along, uh, together, but, uh, that's perhaps why it's the case, but that we call ourselves like the split peas. There's a lot of different denominations. And so, but in my denomination, the Presbyterian church of America, uh, we, uh, specifically like in our book of church order, like we have our very first stated belief that God and God alone is Lord of our conscience. And so like, while, um, the Presbyterian churches, uh, in all one way or another appeal to, uh, what's called the Westminster Confession of Faith as a as a statement of Presbyterian faith and identity. Uh, what this means for us in the PCA is that like that is like I as a Presbyterian pastor say that is my uh, that is my statement of uh, of Christian belief. But if I differ with it at any point or another, then I sh- share. Uh, my God-given convictions because God and God alone is the Lord of our conscience and not a historical document, even how amazing it is um, from the 17th century uh, summarizes Christian doctrine. So like Presbyterianism um, comes from, comes with all that in mind. But one of the things that what I just said right there, like, um, let me highlight another difference from Presbyterianism from other um, denominations is that uh, it has to do with how we as a church, how it has to do with how we as a church interact to one another. And so Presbyterianism really just sees ourselves as connected, truly connected with other uh, churches around us. So like uh, Meadowcroft, which is just a few miles South of Westchester that's pastored by Max Benford. That's one of our sister churches. Um, 
Same thing with uh, Olive Street in Coatesville. Same thing with Ironworks up in Phoenixville. And then, like, as I can just keep going on and on and on. And so we, we as a, a denomination, are organized into regional bodies. Those are called presbyteries. And so, like, the presbytery here in the Metro West suburbs of, of Philadelphia is where uh, is the presbytery of which Ironworks uh, belongs and participates. But we also have presbyteries um, throughout the entire country, and um, it, the number increases, it really increases every single year, and I think we have like 84 some presbyteries right now throughout the country. Um, yeah. What have, uh, what have been some of the, just the challenges that you've run into to get you know, particularly vulnerable, um, you know, as much as you do, do you want. But well, yeah, what are, what are, what have been some of the challenges that you experienced launching a church or launching Ironworks Westchester being specific, not just a church, but this church? Yeah. So Ironworks, like the, the one, the reality is that church planting is hard and church plant, uh, church planting can be harder than our experience. And so like Ironworks, um, has been, um, we've been really well resourced. Um, like I, I was, uh, I did a church plan re residency at city church of Wilmington and the entire goal of that residency was to, um, launch the church well. And we have some incredible partners with ironworks church in Phoenixville and some, um, amazing we just have a warm camaraderie. Like I even mentioned a few moments ago, Max Benford at Meadowcroft, he and I will get together for a prayer. Um, every other month or so. And so there's a rich camaraderie. And so like, really, I think that the challenges uh, um, have to be really has to do in one way, just like with spiritual warfare with um, on one hand, sense my, my own pride. Um, am I, do I believe that I am building this church or do I believe that this church is being built by God and that this church is being established by God. And so like, so I want to start there because it's, it's a thing of pride to say, Hey, I'm establishing this church by the work of my hands. I'm building this church by my hands, by my strategy. And so like, I, I really want to start there. And that's a date. That's something that you, you have to go to the mat and fall on your knees and, and uh, just confess and repent over. And so like, that's, that's just a, a very personal internal um, challenge. Um, and like, so there's, there's certainly other challenges, like, uh, more professionally speaking, like, uh, like I've always been on staff at a church, but I've never been a lead pastor at a church. And so right there just comes with, uh, some various, uh, things to learn about management and, and leadership and casting vision and man, then also managing the staff, like, um, and, being in charge of a church facility and not just a church facility, but a church, this gorgeous church was built in 1895. So what's it look like to care for that? And so like in a lot of those ways, in terms of like that, um, that professional aspect, that executive aspect, that manage, I can't say the word right, that management aspect, those have been uh, a lot of ways that I've had to, um, learn on my feet, but also learn from, other people who are in similar situations just and others who have gone before me and just uh, go to them humbly and be like, Hey, what'd you do here? And so like, those have just been some challenges right there. Just one is just the spiritual struggle against pride. 
um, on one aspect, but then also just like learning to grow in my calling and career and vocation and pursuing that career with excellence. And that's, that's just been its own challenge as well. Awesome. I want to get to two questions that some only two people <laughs> actually responded uh, in terms of when I put this on social media. I said, what do you want me to ask for Pastor Robbie? So two of those questions, one of them was about liturgy, how you structure that. And before you explain how you structure that, can you just explain what that word even means? And then secondly, uh, was about the second question was about discipleship. And I guess what I would want to hear, you know, what is your definition of discipleship? Yeah, so liturgy is like to use a very um, like informal definition, like liturgy is just the structure of a worship service. And so every church by that definition has a liturgy. Like, uh, so you can walk into any church you go to and you always know what to expect. There's always a certain flow, this certain rhythm that you're going to uh, follow when you worship. Um, and, but so, but so with that in mind, like if liturgy is a certain structure of worship, but the question then is, is like, what, what is the structure of our worship? And so this is where we want to take the gospel and put that into our worship service so that when we worship um, God every single time we gather to praise his name, that we are rehearsing the gospel in song and word and deed. We're rehearsing it together as the people of God. So um, like, so just think about the moves of the gospel or um, that God speaks to us. He calls us, he invites us to uh, worship him. Um, and so we respond to that invitation in song and in praise as we hear his voice. So like we confess our sin to him because like we fail to follow him perfectly we stumble and truly that's a wonderful picture of the christian life is that we stumble but as we confess our sins to him that he is quick to forgive us and so we uh, hear uh, an announcement and declaration of forgiveness over our sins and our wrong doing and that like so that that new status of being forgiven people completely changes everything about our life, that we have new relationships with each other. We have new relationship with our possessions, like our money. And, uh, and then we are, we also have a new right relationship with God where we're no longer enemies, but we are his children. We're no longer orphans, but we are his family. And so then we can uh, hear, we hear his word. We come to his table and, um, and, and then we, um, are sent out together as a family of God, as a missionary family of God to our community. So like that's that entire structure, that entire story that I just rehearsed right there, that's embedded into our, our worship service um, in our liturgy. And so um, like, so the second aspect of that question is like, how do I go about writing that liturgy? And again, this is where like one of the things that that makes Ironworks unique from other congregations uh, is that we really want to um, uh, acknowledge that we stand within the historic Christian faith. And so we, we look to documents or uh, um, prayer books that are written by historic um, Christians and we seek to use them. So like the Book of Common Prayer or the New Zealand Book of Prayer or um, Canyon Road um, just or Valley Vision or or catechisms, all sorts of different things. We'll seek to use them within our worship service so that we 
that clearly self-locate within the historic Christian faith. So, but then, um, yeah, so that's how I go about writing them. And so like, uh, you, that, that all has to do with liturgy, but then your second question had to do with discipleship. And so, um, just think about discipleship and like you asked me to, to first clear, clarify what I mean by discipleship. And that's an important, uh, clarification because sometimes we think about discipleship in terms of mentoring where older people disciple younger people, and that's not biblical discipleship. Um, that's mentoring. Um, that's mentoring in the lines of Titus 2, um, which we clearly see commanded and commended with in Scripture. Um, but discipleship is really being apprentices with Jesus, where we actually say, hey, I'm following Jesus to learn what it means to walk with God. I'm following Jesus to learn what it means to um, pray. I'm following Jesus to learn what it means to um, have communion with God, to serve, to love, to practice hospitality, and so forth and so on. So, so when I think about discipleship, um, it's following Jesus. It's apprenticing with Jesus. So that's that's in terms of definition. And but when it comes to what discipleship looks like within the church, um, like just look at any bio, any letter in the entire New Testament, um, or even any of the books within the Old Testament and all the commands of scripture that say, Hey, uh, you love one another. Um, I'll do one another, um, uh, show hospitality to one another, welcome one another, uh, love one another, like, um, serve one another, bear one another's burdens. Like all these commands actually envision a community. And even like within the Greek language and that the new Testament's written in, um, like we within Philadelphia or, or within Pittsburgh, we would have a language and a, and a vocabulary to communicate these uh, New Testament ideas where we would say, well, hey, you, plural, it would be, hey, you's guys. Or in Pittsburgh, we would say, hey, yin's guys. And that's you, plural. And like what the picture that um, you, plural, hey, you's guys uh, creates within the New Testament is that following Jesus is a community endeavor. So when we first think about discipleship at Ironworks, this is what we do together. And so we have, yes, we worship together, but just worshiping God together on Sundays, that is a awful picture of the Christian life. Worship is important. Absolutely. But you have to be in community. You have to, there's like the, the new Testament never envisions a individual Christian. The new Testament always envisions Christians living in community together where we are missionaries to our, our place, loving one another, loving our neighbors, serving our neighbors. And so discipleship at Ironworks is truly embedded within that community practice. And so if you go to Ephesians where Paul says to speak the truth to one another in love, it's that's in the context of of community. So we look at scripture together. We pray at scripture together. We serve together. We, we go out and serve our neighbors together. We serve one another together. And so it's really within that community context, when we embrace those rhythms that we actually become known and loved. And when we are known and loved, that's actually where we can have the most powerful, um, truly the most powerful and most personal transformation of our lives, because we're being, um, we are, living the gospel together and people who know us are, are, are speaking truth into our lives. And we, and people who know us, these are people who love us. We are able to receive it in love. And so like, that's a big, that's really broad strokes for, 
uh, what discipleship look, looks like. But like just coming back to it, it's like, yes, worship, but we also have community groups. And so we put a major, 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 major emphasis on community groups. And so we have community groups, um, three community groups in our church. Uh, we have about 40 people engaged in our community life rhythms. And so we seek to, to follow the way of Jesus together. That's a really awesome answer. I love the way that you explain the picture of the gospel being lived out as a community. I think it's far too easy to picture yourself as like an assassin, you know, and we're all just assassins where it's, no, it's more like this army, but I guess uh, with bullets of love, <laughs> that's a terrible analogy, but. Um, but there's more, yeah, that's, that's a really bad one. Um, but yeah, the, the point there being that there's more power in, with many, you know, there's, um, someone might see that you're, know that you're a Christian and you're very loving to them, even your neighbors, mm -hmm. but they're going to attribute that to you and you say, oh, this is a good person and it's not really going to go beyond, but I feel like in the community, they're going to see that as like, oh, this is this Christian community that's reaching out. Mm -hmm. What do they have to attribute that or to give the credit to and say, all right, there's something different about this group of people. Mm. What is it? Um, and hopefully they'll recognize that it's because of God and because of his love to reach out to other people. Awesome, Robbie. Thank you so much, man. Really appreciate it. Hope to have you on again. Loved all your answers to the questions. We didn't have too many, but maybe as this picks up traction, we'll we'll have to sift through some rather than just through all of if them. If you want me back, if you want me back, there has to be more questions. <laughs> all right. We, we probably exhausted. We exhausted all the questions anyone wants to know from me right now. <laughs> yeah, you're not wrong. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Thanks, man. Uh, hope you guys enjoyed that, and I'll. Oh, you'll you'll hear from me next week. I don't know. I don't have like a, a sign off yet, but <laughs> bye.